0: Welcome back to the Wayback Chronicles podcast brought to you by Noel Kirsch, Steve McKelkey, and Keith Abbott. In this podcast, we talk about the greatest events since 1970s to the present. In this podcast episode, uh, Noel Kirsch is going to bring us
1: the greatest sports moments of 1992. I already know one of the things he's going to talk about, so I'm super geeked up before we even get a word out of his mouth. But uh, Noel, it's all you.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much, Steve. And yeah, so the 1992 sports was um started doing the research on this and one of the first things that i came across was one of the most painful memories i live in the houston area um and one of the most painful sports memories that is still kind of this revered topic you never bring up if you're in the city of houston is the afc championship game of 1992 Uh, it was between the houston oilers and the buffalo bills and um it is Forever known as the comeback, and the the game was held on January third, nineteen not for Houston, to up and lines. not yeah. not for <laughs> yeah. Houston, not not even close. But um, yeah, the game was held on January third, nineteen ninety three. But as part of the 92 ninety two ninety three playoff season, but the Buffalo Bills were down thirty five to three, and then they came back. Um, they were playing in Buffalo, and I remember watching this game. I was, well, I guess I was, uh, whatever, I was a sophomore, junior in high school, I guess. And watching this and like, man, the Oilers, got this game. It's kind of a snore fest because they were beating them so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Warren Moon was a quarterback for mm-hmm. the Oilers. And um, I'm like, they, they've they got this in the bag, even though they were in Buffalo and it was super cold and everything. And um, they, they were just taking it to them. But Buffalo Bills are down 35 to three. And they um, came, came back, uh, overcame a 32-point a, uh, deficit to tie the game up at the very end of the game and uh, went into overtime, tied 38-38, and then they kicked a field goal and won 41-38. And I would say that that absolutely crushed the Houston Oilers. Um, one of the Oilers, Chris Dishman, told an interview after the game, It was the biggest choke job in history. I think we have to put another word in the English dictionary to describe this loss because devastated doesn't do it. And I think that pretty well encapsulates the feeling amongst uh, Houston sports fans uh, back then and even today, you know, some, what, 30 years after the fact, 31 years after the fact. I mean, insane. But. So, from a, from a remember,
2: team. I'm sorry, man. Uh, sorry, no, I was gonna say, re- remind me when did the Oilers finally leave Houston? It wasn't long after that, was it?
0: I think about two or three years after that, I think, is when they actually left. Um, and they, after this season, I think they had three, two or three just lo- losing seasons in a row. They, um, the owner, Bud Adams, traded off everybody on the Oilers team and kind of just did like a fire sale kind of thing and got rid of all of his high dollar players. And, um, they went on a, on a losing streak, like I said, for about three years before he decided to sell the the Oilers and, uh, moved them to, well, didn't sell it, but he moved them to Tennessee and they became the Tennessee Titans. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, this was the start of that, of rolling that hill, or rolling that rock off the hill. Yeah.
2: it's like the beginning yeah. of the end, right? Yeah, yeah it yeah. really
0: was. I mean,
1: sadly it's, it's, the Texans aren't much better from a franchise than, than really the Oilers and sort very of, true. Very much a jinx program, it seems like. And just you know, football's not not or the city of Houston just doesn't have a great football experience. Um yeah. yep. so.
2: I'll tell you the, the 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 times that I've gone and Steve, I've been there with you, I had a great time. It's a yeah. it's a fun atmosphere. Yeah. It would be really cool for that city to have a good winning football team because man, yeah. You, you talk about a uh, a city that's been in pain for a long time. Yeah, kidding, yeah. So yeah. I mean,
1: you know that that choke job was really. I mean, I think everybody that uh, whenever uh, the Texans were beating Kansas City, mm-hmm. pretty handily a few years ago, and then Pat Mahomes brought him back, and yep. and uh, it felt very much like Buffalo. Not not as much of a deficit, but not far off. And yeah. uh, it, it just you know how can such a choke job repeat itself? And uh, right. totally yeah, people crazy. were
2: feeling it like, Oh no, it's not happening again. You
0: know? <laughs> yeah, 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 Scared to death. You mentioned, yeah. um, you mentioned Patrick Mahomes. If you guys watch the uh, quarterback, um, show on Netflix, I haven't by here. I hear he's awesome in there. It's really good. See, uh, Keith, have you watched that. I have not, I've heard it's it, good though. It highlights three quarterbacks, uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback for, um, Oh shoot. Uh Kirk Cousins from mm-hmm. Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And then the quarterback for uh Atlanta uh Falcons, Mariota. Yeah, Mariota. No, yeah. Mariota. It's so good. It gives you kind of a it's behind the scenes kind of look at what the quarterback position is, the difficult I mean, how difficult it is. Really kind of gives you a new appreciation just for how how uh pivotal that role is and that position is. And um it's a pretty elite group of of athletes. Takes a lot to be a quarterback, and mm. that whole thing kind of highlights the importance of that position. And and uh, anyway, it's a it's a good it's a good one to watch. Um, and then there's another one out right now too in Netflix that um, talking about quarterbacks uh, talks about Johnny football. You guys, know. yeah, you yeah. All seen what that? a train wreck he is. Oh, I my I mean, he's in it. So he's in it. So he's participate. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's being interviewed and I mean, he fully acknowledges, yeah, I was out of control back then. I mean, and, um, I, I knew he was out of control back then, but just hearing the, the behind the scenes stories, I mean, it was absolute insanity. Um, he did everything he could to mess that opportunity up, and he he ended up, ended up succeeding in that. But boy, mm-hmm. uh, he sure had some people around him that were trying their best to keep him from self destructing. But golly, anyway, just side note. But you mentioned Patrick Mahomes, that kind of led my brain down a path there. But um, yeah. anyway, definitely good watch. Good good things to watch if you're uh, a listener and looking for something to look to watch on uh, Netflix and interested in sports. Um, even if you're not interested in sports, they're just kind of good um, people, stories, you know, kind of, yeah. it's interesting. But anyway, yeah, good call. threw that in there. Um, good call. So other sports stuff in 1992 um, in the World Series, uh, the Blue Jays played the Braves and the uh, Toronto Blue Jays won four games to two over the Atlanta Braves. The interesting little thing that is noteworthy in this, and the reason I put it into the um, podcast is the, this is the first time ever that a franchise outside outside of the United States won a world series. So. Yeah. I don't know if y'all remember that. I remember Joe. Yeah. Carter. yeah. Um, had some pretty good, uh, pretty good moments in that world series. Pretty good.
1: It's crazy. Cause you know, Skydome was pretty new at the time. I mean, yep. maybe in the second or third year. And uh, it just seemed like it was like, probably like, the one ballpark sort of that changed how ballparks are being built after that. And yep. um folks on luxury suites making it more of an entertainment venue instead of just a baseball park. And yep.
0: And uh well the um you ever been you ever up up there to see that the sky seen it I haven't I haven't no. It's pretty cool. I went up there once a bunch of years ago when I was up there on business, does uh, went there and did like a quick quick tour of it and stuff. It's pretty amazing. Um And they, I would say Canada had some redemption and like they needed to redeem themselves because the other Canadian ballpark was the Montreal expo stadium, (laughs) which was a joke. I mean, a joke in a, in a half, really bad joke at that. But, um, anyway, yeah, the, Hmm. yeah. So it's pretty, pretty cool stadium, but all right. So that was baseball and football in the area of golf, um, This is a noteworthy event. This was Tiger Woods' uh, debut in the uh, PGA. He was the youngest player ever to enter into the PGA at the young age of 16 years old. So, um, and and he also uh, was. uh, I think this was prior to the time that he uh, crossed paths with Keith. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and, uh, <laughs> uh, oh man i'm sorry i couldn't <laughs> roll it together <laughs> but uh, he wasn't this was the less inspired uh tiger woods uh of 1992 version he was inspired until he met keith and then that moment changed his life in that san the uh, san antonio um hotel everybody uh, has that pivotal moment it, and that was his, and that was yeah, yeah. his. So he was nothing until that, that, uh, that fateful day in San Antonio, yeah. Texas, yeah. where he, 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 met, he met Keith. Yeah. Or at least be, have, have this negative outlook on life until
1: <sighs> Keith yeah. turned everything positive for him.
2: Sad about it is, I was looking more forward to the county line restaurant to eat than I did. Meet him because I didn't know who I met.
0: <laughs> it's good barbecue, though. Just I agree. And the big, <laughs> the big rib thing that they gave you to hold over your head while they sing happy oh, birthday to you. Yeah, I no, mean, there's nothing better. I, I would be oh. looking forward to that more than I would be meeting Tiger Woods. I mean, any day, yeah.
1: I, I really wonder, like, where would Night Ranger be today if if Keith had more one on one time with them again?
0: Uh,
2: again. If yeah. it was past 3 a.m. at the OA Air airport, they may have had more hits. Yep. Yeah. Just saying. Well, have been like I,
0: the I'm next saying. Beatles. If they missed. I mean, yeah. Beatles, Night Ranger. Night Ranger. Yeah. It's right there. In the, yeah. Oh, well. Y'all are so much.
1: Our uninformed audience right now is so long So what episode was this that we was just this, Gosh, this was, was this is 95 Sports, I think. Yeah, 95 oh.
0: Sports. So yeah. if you want in on the inside joke that we're kind of passing around here with the Tiger Woods, you gotta listen to the 95 Sports because there was a there was a moment <laughs> in that episode. Um, that's all I'm gonna say. So you no, need to yeah, watch or no. no. listen. Sorry. No. Oh my. All right. So in 1992, um, this was the, uh, if you guys remember from the 88, uh, episodes, we talked about how, um, in 1992, they decided to, that was the last year that they did summer and winter Olympics in the same year from then on from 96 forward, uh, they started, they alternated. So 1996 was the, um, Atlanta Olympics, uh, summer Olympics. And then every year after that, they started alternating. But in 1992, Summer Olympics was in Barcelona, Spain. Barcelona. Um, and, I'm sorry? Barcelona. Barcelona. Barcelona, Spain. And um, I don't know if you guys remember this or not. I certainly do. And when I was researching this, I, m- I remember I watched this video and it brought back some good memories, but the lighting of the torch. oh um, was the um, bow and arrow dude, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, man. Oh my gosh. What an amazing, amazing way I, I don't think that's to... been topped yet. Oh, I, I, I agree i don't I think so either i mean i thought muhammad ali lighting the torch in in atlanta was pretty darn cool yeah. but the method that i mean that was so cool but yeah um yeah they uh i i watched an interview where they interviewed the guy that the archer and they actually i mean he didn't actually light it he just shot over it all he had to do was just shoot over it and then as it passed over they basically turn the torch. Yeah. Turn the torch on. But, um, boy, what a neat visual that was, it was, that was awesome visual. really something if you've never seen that listeners in, in, you want to, um, or if you've never seen that, I'd highly recommend Googling or, uh, going to YouTube and just looking for the the lighting of the torch for the 1992 summer Olympics in Barcelona. Um, it's a pretty we'll special. We'll yeah, yeah. Good idea. Good idea. It's really cool. But um, yeah, there was glad, a pair I'm glad they didn't choose me to be the archer for that
1: Because I've probably been the dude that like Stuck the arrow in the side of the torch And so <laughs> every commercial break They showed the torch and this you know, arrow Hanging out
0: the side of it it's, uh- <laughs> <laughs> They would have the little lifter thing on Beep Beep, yeah, grab right up the Don't side to, to get off. <laughs> Is there a clank? <laughs> my bad. bad, right at that moment, like a bald eagle's like flying right over it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my luck, especially mine this year. Oh, yeah, my mine
2: too. No doubt. Wow. <laughs> What we're going to say Keith. Sorry. I was just thinking, like, if it's stuck in the Olympic cauldron, it would have been really perfect. If they, instead of removing it, they just do like the old world thing and just break it. Break it. <laughs> and the nut <laughs> out.
1: A little flame sneaking out the side. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> um,
0: but that that arrow was shot by Paralympic Spanish archer Antonio Rabolo. Rabolo. Hmm. See. Sí. Don't quote Very me on nice. that, but Very pretty nice. cool. Um, also in the- I am,
2: I love Bar have y'all ever been to Barcelona? I have not. It is one of the coolest cities I have huh. ever been to. I, I love Barcelona. So yeah, yeah. this is makes
0: it really neat. Anyway, continue. Sorry, diversions. Gotta go there. Um, sometime it's on my bucket list. Oh, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> um so there was a, another moment in the summer Olympics, um, the 1992 summer Olympics that was, uh, it's been well-remembered. It's kind of one of the defining images of the modern Olympic era. Actually, it was in the men's 400 meter semifinal. And one of the favorites for the medal was, his name is Derek Redman. Um, and he's running the race and in the race, like he is, he's, I don't know if he's in the lead or if he's close to being in the lead, it's hard to tell in the 400 meter dash because they all start different spots or whatever, but. Anyway, halfway through the race, he pulls his hamstring and I mean, he, he goes down and of course all the runners, the other runners just keep, keep going and he struggles back to his feet and he starts and he finishes the race, but, um, which is a pretty amazing in itself. But, um, his dad like runs out onto the track and like gets underneath his son's shoulder and like, you know, basically carries him to the finish that's and so his cool. his son is like in um, the look on his face. I mean, he's in excruciating pain, um, you know. And I'm sure his, the just the disappointment was so crushing. And you got to think these guys are oh, yeah. training for years and years for this one moment, and then he gets there and and he pulls his hamstring and is na- unable to to finish. Um, but or he finished, but he didn't didn't compete. I guess. But pretty mm. heart heartwarming warm, moment for sure. And one of those, one of those moments that kind of, um, it's one of those defining images that, like I said, of the, of the modern Olympic era, but, um, pretty, pretty cool moment that I thought was worth reliving. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Great moment. Great moment.
2: I don't recall ever seeing that one, but now I'm gonna have to go look it up. It's awesome.
0: Yep. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, I did some research on the winter Olympics of 92. It was in Albertville, France. Um, Never been there. Actually never heard of it. Me neither. Um, the only thing really noteworthy, and this is kind of embarrassing, the only noteworthy event that I could find on the 1992 Winter Olympics was that it was the last time that France hosted the Olympics. And that was it. There we go. Yeah. That's a good yeah. reason. There was yeah, a ever whole... since then, they've been on strike. Yeah, right. Yeah. They're all at Disney World or Disneyland. Right. And yeah. striking. Wee! No, no, you mean, yeah, we. <laughs> <laughs> sorry if you don't know what that's about you gotta listen to 1992 pop culture uh, which is next week by the way <laughs> which is right. next I just gave you a preview <laughs> right. whoops
1: we're in our own little world we wonder why our listens are down
0: alright <laughs> <laughs> I don't that's care okay. let's do our thing that's right, man. right. let's do <laughs> our thing come along for the ride if you want to yeah, <laughs> yeah um all right so in 1992 this is going back to the olympics and the the thing that for sure the 1992 summer olympics will be remembered for is this was the um this was the year that the dream team basketball team of the u.s um not just competed but they kind of reshaped the landscape of sports for i guess for the basketball world really um because this was the first year that um the the rules were changed which really at the time was a bit controversial but the rules were changed to allow professional players from the uh nba um to compete in the olympics and b- before that it was always a um a competition between amateur athletes to come in and compete in the olympics and stuff so this is the first year that they actually allowed professional athletes to to compete and so um, the dream team of the, of the U.S. Um, included stars like Michael Jordan, uh, Magic Johnson, and... Um, uh, what was that oh, white we, guy? Larry, it, um, Larry, Bur- Larry, uh, Larry Bird, I yeah, believe. Yeah, sounds Number familiar. 32 from the um, Boston 30, Celtics. 33. But, oh, sorry. Yeah, 33. I mean, still <laughs> on me over here. <laughs> there, there it is. There's <laughs> a number right there. I know it. I know it. I'm looking right at the jersey, and I'm yeah. For
2: our <laughs> listeners, over Steve's left shoulder is the jersey
0: for Larry Bird with the number 33 on it. Yeah, well, my uh, right
1: shoulder is my other Larry Bird poster.
0: Yeah, <laughs> there's some stories with that, that Larry Bird poster too. Man, it survived. That there's a lot of miles on that on that yes, poster. Is. At least at least 30 years old. At yeah, least wild. Yeah, 40 probably. Yeah. Um, so before the 1992 Olympics, the USA basketball suffered its worst finish in Olympic game in 1988 when it, defeated the, it was defeated by the USSR in the semifinals. So they settled for the bronze medal. And so between 1998 and 1992, four years later, rules were changed to allow NBA players. And boy, did we make a statement because um, the dream team defeated its opponent, its opponents by an average of 44 points, um, in route to gold medal against Croatia. Um, their first game that they played was against poor old Angola and they beat, they blew them out by a total of 68 points (laughs) and just brutal. But, um, one of the, uh, so coach Daly, uh, Chuck Daly was the coach, uh, for the dream team. And he recruited, this is kind of one of those little known or little facts that I found while I was doing the research on the dream team, but he recruited uh, a number of uh, really good college players back in the day to be their scrimmage team that the dream team would scrimmage against. And he told that, that the uh, dream, the scrimmage team, I want you to come full bore on the first practice against the dream team. I just want you to give it all you got. And the dream team was pretty, pretty cocky. Um, didn't really take these guys seriously. They they knew, I mean, pretty, pretty cocky, but they got beat in the first yeah. scrimmage. Oh, I didn't know yep. that. They got yep. beat. And so their response to that, so they got beat the first scrimmage, kind of caught them off guard. Well, they came back for the second scrimmage, and not only did the scrimmage team lose, but they didn't score a single point against the oh, dream team. Wow. So yeah. Yeah their egos got bruised a little bit and the dream team came out flexed this muscle and put them down in their place. But I thought that yeah, was that's kind probably of, the smartest thing that coach could have done though. Yeah. Make, yeah. Make a absolutely. Wake up call.
1: Yeah. So Chuck, Chuck Daly, like, you know, you're, Noel's exactly right. Like it was like, Hey, we want you just give them your best. And uh, so before it was a private scrimmage, so media wasn't invited. Uh, no one was, was allowed to the game, but the, the team personnel, and uh, so, so bof- uh, after game was over, they cleared the scoreboard, uh, and then media came in to do interviews. And the 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 tension in the air, and just the body language from the NBA players on the dream team were just like P- palpable. Was, like something something didn't go well today. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, yeah, it was it was it was on after that. And so, yeah, yeah well played by Chuck Daly.
0: You know, yes, yeah. yeah,
1: he was a longtime coach of the hated Detroit Pistons. And
0: yep. uh, and but uh, a brilliant coach, it's got to be tough. I mean, it takes a special personality to be able to manage a team oh, no without that talent. Carl Malone, yeah. uh, David Robinson. I mean, just the it, the all the greats on that team were just absolutely on, unreal. But yeah, um, so
1: r- real quick, a, a great moment from that first game against Angola. Uh, Charles Barkley, uh, who's never cared about how he's perceived or you know the uh, words that come out of his mouth or anything, so he so he felt like he was getting rough towels a little bit by some of the ankle players, so he started throwing these big elbows and just clobbering those guys. Uh, you know, every time he get a rebound, he he elbowed them. There was another guy flat on his back. <laughs> he just he whooped their rear end. And of course, you know, uh, you know. Chuck or charles probably started to be, become known as the ugly american because of it and mm-hmm. and so uh he tried to tone it down but he he had to be his his old self and uh true to himself <laughs>
0: yeah uh so the total the roster for the the dream team um michael jordan magic johnson larry bird david robinson patrick ewing carl malone scotty pippen chris mullen Clyde Drexler and John Stockton and Christian Christian Leitner. Christian Leitner. That's right. So yeah. interesting factoid on that. So they um, kind of in a, as an acknowledgement to the previous amateur system, the selection kitty c- committee, kitty selection committee that put together the dream team decided to include one college player. So they looked at a few options that included Alonzo Mourning, Jimmy Jackson, Harold, Harold Milder, and Christian Leitner, and then. Shaquille O'Neal, you've probably yeah. probably heard of. So, wow, yeah. yeah. But Leitner eventually won out um, as his Duke team had won two NCAA AA championships, and he was an A. College Player of the Year in 1992. So it kind of made sense to just put him on the team. But um, Leitner does hold the legacy of being the first and last college player to play on a dream team. So subsequent teams after that, they didn't they didn't include a college player. But the hmm. entire um, in or the tired dream team, including Christian Leitner, was inducted into the NBA Hall of Fame. So, he Christian Leitner is now in the NBA Hall of Fame for his contributions beyond the yeah. dream team, yeah. which I thought was pretty interesting. But another little fact, I found during the, my research was that, of course, in the Olympics, they have the Olympic Village where all the athletes stay because of these guys' notoriety and they're they're they were so famous. Um, they actually stayed at a different hotel, and so the NBA committee rented out like 85 of the 90 rooms so that there was like because there was security risk because they had death threats against the team, um, they were being mobbed everywhere they went, and so they stayed in a different hotel. And um, Charles Barkley, kind of being Charles Barkley, um, went out on Barcelona by himself, like just to. Yeah forget all the security. I'm going to go out and do my own thing. So he went out on the parcel of the streets and just did his own thing and kind of uh, shook the security and stuff like that, that he had, um, that they had, they had uh, paid a lot of money to provide for the, the dream team. But anyway, I thought that was kind of funny, but they were, they were definitely rock stars. Um, Big, big time. But I think one of the things
2: that I remember most about it is, um, you know, even after these teams would get destroyed, Mm -hmm. like at the end of the games, you'd see them wanting to come up and take pictures with them, you know? And I just thought that that is a whole new level. Like like, I am just so excited. I want
0: to get a picture with this guy that just drilled me 50 points, you know, unbelievable. You know, there's one of the, one of the players, I think on the, um, I think it may have been the Angola team. I can't, or I, I, didn't get the exact team uh, that this guy played on, but while he was, he knew they weren't going to, they knew they weren't going to win, but one player while trying to guard Magic Johnson was waving, was seen waving to a, a teammate of his on the bench that was taking a picture of him guarding magic Johnson. So <laughs> I mean, They were, they wanted to just go home and say, Hey, I played with magic Johnson. Here's a yeah, picture. You know? yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. But uh, Chuck Daly described the 1992, 1992 team is like Elvis and the Beatles put together uh, all in one, all in, on, on one court. But yeah, yeah. Um, so, pretty amazing. So
1: you, you talked about uh, Charles Barkley going out to, you know, barcelona the streets mm-hmm. and clubs and all that stuff and get mobbed and everything well funny stories on the flip side of that john stockton also did the same thing and no one had any idea who he was <laughs> so, so so he his wife and his two kids they could walk around like like he would walk up people and he's wearing the dream team dream team t-shirt and say hey you know do you know who i am and they're like no and like does this guy right here look familiar on my shirt no <laughs> that <is> awesome.
2: <laughs> that's
0: awesome yeah oh man well they were um a couple other factoids about them they were the first team to score a hundred points in every uh in every olympic basketball game first team to ever do that so i'm, I'm gonna add my favorite moments so yeah so first
1: of all yeah you know, i can't be a larry bird fan without saying well larry bird scored the first points for the dream team gotta say that but uh the other other thing is uh, my, my biggest dream team geek out moment is whenever uh magic johnson's on a fast break Larry Burst trail trailing him, Magic Johnson's middle of the free throw or in the middle of the key stops, pivots out, pops it out to Larry who nails a three pointer nothing but net. I was like, yes, <laughs> it's the only time I ever cheered for Magic Johnson.
0: It was it was joy to watch the best at at their craft doing their craft. You know, like yeah. the the best in the game out there just doing what they do best. And uh, what what a what a treat it was for the world to see. Um, in a lot of ways, they really sh- reshaped the future of basketball as a sport that was um, prior to the 1992 Olympics, was, wasn't was really that well-known worldwide, but being in Olympics kind of drew in people's attention and interest in the sport. And if you look at the years after that, um, particularly around China and Japan, um, doors that were previously closed to, because the NBA was trying to get into China and Japan before the Olympic, the 1992 Olympics, and they weren't, they weren't making much traction. Um, but after the 1992 Olympics doors were open, they were given primetime spots to come in there. Several teams in the NBA had games over in Tokyo and, and in Beijing and, you know, fast forward a few years, Yao Ming from, from China mm-hmm. was drafted number one in the draft um, you know, and, and so sort of like the international doors sort of open a lot of different markets that were were never there before and gave the game um, and a lot of players, international players that uh, had hadn't found the sport and discovered the sport until the until the dream team came on the scene. So, yeah, in a lot of ways they were they were trailblazers in um, in that regard. But quite a quite an interesting experience. Um, tidbit from 1992 thought it was definitely something worth spending a little bit of time talking about because the dream team was definitely one of those things that you associate 1992 and, and sports certainly with, with the, uh, with the, with the dream team, but pretty interesting. I always think about like,
1: you know, the, it's a different generation of players like, you know, the, the LeBron James and the Steph Curry's and, and uh, Jason Statham's and James Harden's all those guys. Uh, Like if, would we will would be will we be as excited about the dream team now if like current players were put together for the first time as pro athletes and adult' only been college prior to now like would be we, would we be as excited about this dream team mm-hmm. uh first version as we were because you know all the all the players that run the 92 team we watched them growing up mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. so so you know um i just wonder like in my opinion that's like the best team ever mm-hmm and uh, no matter what the sport is. And yep. uh, I, I don't know that I would put LeBron against any of those guys and stuff like that, but that yeah. we could open up a massive sports debate by going down that road. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll see are- it my
0: way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, there's entire websites that are dedicated to debating that exact, you know, that exact question. But and yeah. Yeah. my, from my, yes, my, uh, admittedly, on un, an un, uh, uneducated opinion, because I'm not really a big basketball guy, but um, Michael Jordan had to probably be the best, the most gifted basketball athlete of any of all time. I mean, yeah. just um, his instincts were built for basketball. His his um, uh, his speed, his reaction time, everything was just geared perfectly for basketball. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, he found, he found the sport that fit his makeup and his physical makeup and mental makeup perfectly. And yeah, yeah. he saw the results on the court. I mean, he was just unstoppable, but, yeah. um, yeah, quite a, quite a, quite a story. I'm glad I got to live through that time and actually see them play in real time. And, and, um, I mean, I don't know that we'll ever, we'll ever see in my lifetime, we'll never see a great like that just dominate a sport the way that Michael Jordan did back yeah. in, back in his day. I agree. I, I got to tell you this Same.
2: crazy, crazy thing. Um, back in 1982, I was in North Carolina, and I ran to this guy. I'm totally kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you got had- to take credit for Michael Jordan, weren't you? I <laughs> had a bad high school game, and, uh, yeah, you, you're like, "Hey, Michael, just do it." Yeah, just do it, man. Just do it, man. Yeah, just yeah, catch some
2: it. air; you'll be fine. Just yeah. do it.
1: Hey, how about whenever you shoot, you stick sure. your tongue out.
0: Yeah, you that's take it, your tongue out. It might help. Here, little try, little. try my shoes. They're Air Keiths, but you can call them Air Jordans, whatever. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Air Abbott. <laughs> they're, they're Capas at this point, but
2: whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, you want to play Capa colors? Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Red and black. just do it man it all comes back to Keith Abbott (laughs) What, what what a joke what a joke Oh man. Well, that's, I had you though, was. Noel,
2: you were even leaned in engaged. I love it. <laughs> I had you.
0: For a second. Then you said, I, no, have- I talked to this guy, in North Carolina. I'm like, yeah, yeah. As soon as I heard <laughs> North,
2: I don't know. Yeah, I heard the yeah. word
0: North. I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. I've never even been to North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> My BS meter went. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Man. Yeah, that's that's it for nineteen ninety two sports fellas. So that's you know. good stuff. What a
2: year. Wow. Yeah. What a memory. Yep. It's good stuff. I will I'll never forget watching that first game of the dream team. I mean mm-hmm. that was crazy, crazy. They
0: were they were jogging. I mean, they were just coasting and, and couldn't miss a shot. I mean, it was just complete, utter domination. And um we Americans love winners, and, boy, they were the best winners imaginable I and mean, yeah. just unstoppable.
2: Yeah. Without a doubt. You
0: know, going back to Michael Jordan, I, I was, I've watched
1: that Dream Team documentary quite a bit, and uh, more times than I can count. And they, they talked about, I can't remember which player it was, just, they said that just the competitive nature and the drive that Michael Jordan had blew them away because they knew how he was on the court. But every single day, he played thirty-six holes of golf, mm-hmm. scored thirty points in the game, and then stay up till two or three a.m. Sometimes playing cards. later playing cards, <laughs> yeah. and and did wow. every single day. Like you know, like he would take a nap on the way to the stadium, take on, <laughs> take a nap on the way back to the hotel, take a nap after a round of golf, and but kept going. And <laughs> uh, wow,
0: wow, wow. I mean, I, if I if I did that, I mean, I'd be down for two days. No kidding, no man. Really kidding. I'd be down just from the golf itself. I mean, yeah. eighteen holes is is enough, but to play thirty six, and then go out and play sixty minutes of basketball or whatever it is. I mean, yeah. come on, it's wild. What a yeah. Beast. yeah, he was. Yeah. He's a uh, yeah. His offer, different. Yeah, yeah. He he is definitely built different, man, for sure. Yeah. But interesting yeah. guy. Interesting uh, man. year. So, Great review, Noel. Thank, thank you. Yeah, nice job. Thank you.
2: And so, coming up next, we've got pop culture with Steve. Yeah, <laughs> which you've already gotten a preview of. Yeah, in the
0: sports. <laughs> <episode>. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so the interesting thing is, we haven't recorded this yet. The wayback is going to take us back to this episode, so we can go forward later. <laughs> yeah. So thank yeah. you for the wayback time machine for making this possible.
1: Yes. <laughs> Our audience is like, what? 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 All right. right, Well,
2: I guess this will wrap it up, and thank you again, Noel, and it's been a good ride in 1992. We've got a couple more episodes before we figure out where the time machine takes us next. This will actually probably, 1992 is going to wrap up season two of The Wayback Chronicles, so that's kind of fun. And so new things in store for season three that we've got planned, we're excited about. Can't wait to share those with you in the future. And uh, we're just going to go from yeah. there. So we will catch you all in the 1992 pop culture episode with Steve. Thanks right. a lot, everybody. Take care, everybody. See you guys and girls.
1: Thanks for listening to the way back Chronicles. All shows are written and produced by Noel. Keith and Steve, massive thanks to those who made these memories possible for us through the years. All songs, sounds, and effects have been attributed in the comments section and through links listed on waybackchronicles.podbean.com. We look forward to taking you way back again in the very near future.